We had an episode a few years ago and we emphasized that value needs patience and character needs truth. Value needs patience and character needs truth. Here in the story of Vashti, right, and, and King Exorcist, um, although, you know, we're talking about the story of Esther and King Exorcist, but right now I want to focus back on Vashti and King Exorcist. We see that uh, Vashti didn't have no patience. And when the truth was given to her, right, um, what is the truth in this context? The truth is, is that King Exorcist is her husband and she has to submit to her husband right she has to please her husband right she didn't want to do that she she did what she rebelled and that had cost her her crown that cost her her crown to the point where the king was so done with her that he is now on on on, on the move right he is now will he is now willing to pursue other women he's now willing to be the bachelor <laughs> In the Bible, in this Bible passage, looking for his new wife, looking for his new queen. And what we're going to see in the character of Esther is that Esther was the complete opposite of Vashti in this sense. And so the only thing that Esther had in common with Vashti is that both women were beautiful and they had nice figures. That's a done deal. But at the end of the day, she had nothing that was similar to Esther. To the point where Esther is well loved by the eunuchs. Remember, we just talked about the eunuchs when we were reading chapter one. The eunuchs are the servants to King Exorcist. Let's go ahead and continue to let's go ahead and continue to verse to verse eight, right? Chapter two, verse eight. Verse eight says, When the king orders, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed many young women were brought to the citadel of susa and put under the care of haggai esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to haggai so the eunuch who was really helping esther out helping her with her preparation right her her skincare routine her makeup routine was haggai and it says here in the bible he was in charge of the harem so he was he was not just an eunuch but he was the eunuch he was like the head of the other eunuchs and verse 9 tells us she pleased him and won his favor. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. All right. The Bible now wasn't completely um, describing to us, you know, how come she won favor with Haggai. But the implication here, based on the way that Esther was, right, with Mordecai. And based on how she's going to be speaking as we continue to read the passage, right, with this eunuch, we can have a sense, we can have an idea. The fact that the reason why she won the favor to begin with, with, with Haggai, is because of her demeanor. Yes, her beauty caught their attention. But at the end of the day, I strongly believe what made Haggai favor her so much from the other woman was her character. And why do I say that? Y'all, the king owned 127 provinces and he has issued and proclaimed this edict to, you know, get all these women to come to the citadel 
to be his potential like you know to, to check them out right to see who can in fact replace Vashti you're gonna tell me that Esther was the only one that was beautiful you're gonna tell me that Esther was the only one that took um that that really you know you know surprised the heck you know Haggai the Enoch right you're gonna tell me Haggai was only blown away by her beauty of course not there was something unique about Esther that had to now captivate Haggai to the point where he is now just like Naomi here. I want you guys to see that similarity between Haggai and Naomi. The only difference is that, um, yeah. So, so just like Naomi, we see Haggai. I'm not sure if Haggai is a, yeah, I, I do know because it says he, right, y'all? So, and his. So, Haggai was a male. He was a man. So, that's the only, um contrast that he had with Naomi but just like Naomi Haggai now is on the quest they're plotting Haggai is now plotting to make sure that Esther is going to be the one that King Exorcist chooses to replace Vashti and we're gonna see it play out let's continue to read all right so immediately we're still in verse 9 now it says immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food he assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her in attendance into the best place in the harem so Haggai now is having Esther in the top place right the top place in the harem you know verse 10 says Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so so even now she's in the citadel if she wanted to, she could have she could have rebelled against even Mordecai, her cousin. Mordecai said, you know, make sure once you enter that citadel and you're trying to win the queen, the king's heart, you better not tell them that you're a Jewish um, woman. And she kept that. She kept his word. And she, she refused to disobey him. And that shows me that it's further evidence that she is a faithful woman. She was a faithful woman just like Ruth. When Naomi is telling Ruth all of these things to make sure you 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 put on that nice dress, you you put on your perfume, you make sure you look good, right? And make sure you go before the the feet of Boaz at the proper time when he doesn't look like you know he's in a he's in a bad at you know a bad mood, right? So listen, y'all. I don't know if I've said it enough, but character is very crucial for you in this season to make sure you're forming your character, to making sure that you're forming with character by, um, you know, increasing your time with the Lord, by reading the word so the word could become a part of you, you know, by living the word, by treating people with respect, by honoring others, by being selfless, by being generous, you know, by being you know, a, a good version of yourself, but being a person of your word, but being a person of integrity. Let's continue to read now um, to verse, verse 10. Let's finish reading verse 10. So verse 10, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. So now we see Esther... It's completely 
on the mind of two people right now. He, she's on the mind of Haggai, the eunuch, and she's on the mind of Mordecai. Both men wants her to be successful. And both men are making sure that they're doing what they need to do, what they got to do to make sure Esther will be the one to be chosen by King Ersesus. From that being said, y'all, the rest of chapter, chapter two is just explaining, you know, the different treatments that they had to go ahead and do before they could even get into the presence of the, the, the king. When we go to verse 12 very quickly, it tells us that they had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. And when they say her, they're speaking specifically specifically in regards to Esther. Yes, every other virgin had that same regiment, right? The 12 months of preparation. But Esther, she was given the honor that she could take anything, right? Anything that was in her, she could take to go to the king's palace because she was favored. And in the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shagaz. The king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubine. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihel, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Another similarity between the relationship of Ruth and Naomi Esther was wise enough as well to make sure she listened to the counsel of Mordecai because she knows Mordecai knows what he's talking about. You see, some of us, we feel as if we know it all and we don't want to hear other people's suggestion. You know, we need to figure out who is the Mordecai in our life? Who is the Naomi in our life? You know, and for maybe for some of you, perhaps, unfortunately, you, you're trying to look very, very deep because there's just nobody that seems to have the character of these people. But God is the one who's the Mordecai in your life, the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's your, your mom, you know. But you have to make sure you are able to identify the Mordecai in your life, the, the, the Naomi in your, in your life. And even then, if you still say, well, I don't see someone that could help me out here, JLP. Continue to study this word. Continue to study these Bible passages. So that way you have an idea of what it is you need to do to make sure that you are in position. That you are doing your role as a positioner. If you're a young woman who's listening to this podcast, you need to do your role as a positioner. You need to make sure that you listen to wise counsel in order for you to win. In order for you to attract your good thing. In order for you to see yourself as a prize. And knowing that you are the total package. Knowing that it's not just your beauty that counts. But what's most important, what counts more is your character. And the way you make everyone feel your essence. The way people feel in your presence. And in Esther's presence, people felt welcome, y'all. I strongly believe the Enix felt welcome in her presence. She was just very kind and sweet. She had a sweet demeanor. They noticed that's not what Vashti had. They know Vashti didn't have that. We don't have all the details, right? What went down in that palace. But based on how Vashti responded to the king at his banquet, that could only mean as well. We could have the assumption that she treated the other people with attitude as well. She treated the Enix with attitude. Here, 
as we read this about Esther, we could just assume that she treated the days that she was in the palace, right? Just the, the time that she spent with them. As she is getting this this preparation, right? Before she goes sees the king, we could just assume she treated everybody with kindness and respect. And she was obedient. She was not a hard-headed person. She listened to good counsel. She did what was told of her. She did what was told of her. Now, quickly to verse 15. Let's go ahead and read verse 15 again. The, the latter part of verse 15. And it says, And Esther won the favor of everyone. Look at that. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Verse 16. She was taken to King Exorcist in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. Verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she was favored. And she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So he set a royal crown. You guys see that word crown again, like we saw in, like we saw previously. All right, previously in chapter one, when I said to highlight that, here it goes again. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. I'm gonna stop right there. Um, I don't even think it's necessary for me. Again, like I said, I'm not gonna go read the entire chapter two and the entire chapter three and four. We're gonna stop right there. If you're interested you're more than welcome you're more than welcome um to read the entire book of esther during your free time the only thing that i'm gonna go ahead and do like i said after we talk about this passage we just read um i'm just gonna allow you all to read um verse five excuse me chapter five verse one to verse seven with me very quickly before we touch bases on proverbs 31 proverbs 31 and um discuss a little bit for the the men who are listening to this podcast episode um what insight they could take and learn from when it comes to jacob king exorcist and um boaz all right do you guys see the contrast right there in verse 17 all right so we know now the the, the king is truly attractive to esther and the bible shows emphasis saying more than any other woman but Again, like we discussed earlier, it's not to say that she was the most beautiful, okay? Because, again, we have to remember, Esther was not just the one woman that came to his house. No, there was a multiple women. And the women that they selected, y'all, they weren't just anybody. They could have probably, right, be poor and so forth, right? But they made sure that they select the certain women that seemed like they had the potential, right, to be the next queen, okay? And so there had to be a deal breaker. There had to be an extra uh, uh, unique feature of Esther that caused the, the king to be super attractive to her. Attractive, excuse me, attracted to her. And when I read that scripture, right, verse 17 of chapter 2 of Esther it, re, it, it, it brought me back to the story of Ruth and Boaz the way Boaz viewed Ruth Okay, there was many women that worked for Boaz's field but there was something specifically unique about Ruth and the similarity between Ruth and Esther right there is again their willingness to obey their willingness to be faithful their willingness to do what is told of them remember 
Vashti didn't do that. Vashti didn't know what it means to be dis- to be respectful. Vashti didn't know what it means to honor others. Vashti didn't know what it means to submit. Vashti didn't know what it means to follow directions and orders. Vashti didn't know what it means to listen to wise counsel. Are you guys getting where I'm going with this? So basically, what allowed King Exorcist to, to find her even more attractive it, it's not just her beauty now guys it's not just her figure but it's because she had a, sub, a submissive demeanor it's because she listened and it's because the way she made other people feel people feel welcome in her presence people feel that she was indeed sweet you know she was indeed kind. They just saw that she she was immersed with joy, you know. Her essence was joyful, was peaceful. And that made her even more beautiful on top of the physical beauty that she had. And that was what was missing in Vashti. That was what the king desired more. Even though the king in chapter 1 of Esther wanted to present Vashti in front of the nobles so that they could look upon her beauty. What the king did not know he needed at that time is that he needed a woman who was kind and who would be willing to submit to him. And that, my friends, he found in Queen Esther. And because of that, later on in chapter 5, um, as we just quickly read it right here, when it, when it came time for Esther... To again listen to another um, to another order that Mordecai gave her, meaning to make sure that she stood up to the king so she could help her people, right? You know, Mordecai, there's this famous phrase that we all know. He said, Perhaps Esther, you know, you are here for such a time as this. You know, you you are you were born for such a time as this, right? You are here where you are in the king's palace for such a time as this to deliver our people, to help our people to receive deliverance, right? What does Esther go ahead and do? She goes ahead very kindly. She says in Acts of the uh, of the king. Let's go ahead and quickly read it, y'all. Um, chapter 5. It says, first one, it says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall, The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Here's another contrast for you all as well, for us all. I want you guys to see the contrast, even when it comes to the the banquet. Mind you, in chapter 1, Vashti went ahead and created a banquet for her own self while the king had his banquet. The king was furious about that. And not only did she create a banquet for her own self, she refused to leave her banquet so she could accompany the king at his banquet. So we see here, it's not to say that the king did not give Vashti freedom or didn't want for Vashti to be happy and to pursue her own things, to pursue her own interests. 
Why do I say this? We see here, even here in, in chapter 5, this is what Esther herself is asking of the king. She's saying, I want to make a banquet for you. I'm making a banquet for you. She said, if it pleases the king. And I love that the Bible shows that, that term, right? Pleases. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with him and come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. So not only is Esther letting the king know about this banquet, but she's saying the banquet I have prepared for you. So it's not just a banquet that she that she created for herself, but she did it in order to honor the king. And that, my friend, is going to now leave the king to do what it is that Esther is going to tell her to do next. And what is Esther going to tell her to do next? Let's read verse 6. It says, as they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? You guys see how that Proverbs did not lie at all? When it was saying that kindness brings honor to women, it, 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 it truly does here. We see it happening. And Esther is getting more favor from the king. Why? Because of the way she treats the king, her kindness, her demeanor, her character, her willingness to honor him. Now what happens here is that the king's heart is even more soft, softened, right? More open towards Esther to do whatever it is that she wants to do. That he will allow her to do. Verse 7 says here. Excuse me. I'm, I'm ahead of myself here. Let's go back to verse 6. The latter part of verse 6. Um, King again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replies back to him saying, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Esther is one smart girl, y'all. We see here in the similarities between Esther now and Naomi. We see, um, we, we're reminded of how Naomi told Ruth, okay, do this, right? Yes, make yourself look good. Uh, yes, wear that nice clothes, right? Um, yes, make yourself smell good, right? Go to that place that you know that Boaz is going to be at, right? But listen, do not go while he seems like he's busy. While he seems like he's occupied, or while he seems like he's kind of like you know not in the mood, we see here in this in, in this in this verse, verse seven, with Esther. Esther is smart and wise, and knowing that she first wants to satisfy the king before she says what she wants to say to him, because she knows at times people need to be well rested, people need to be relaxed, people need to be in high spirits. I believe, yeah, that was the phrase. I believe. And, and, and different um, versions say of Naomi. Naomi made sure to say Ruth. Make sure that he's in high spirits when you approach Boaz, right? Make sure he's in high spirit. And this is what Esther is doing right now. She's making sure that the king will be in high spirit. So that way, when she introduced to him the petition, he will refuse to say no. He will be in such high spirit that he will have to say yes. And let's continue very, very, very quickly. Let me see. No, I'm going to stop right there, y'all. I'm going to stop right there. So basically, I believe that you guys get, in a nutshell, the similarities here between um, Ruth and Esther. 
and even the dynamics too y'all of how they were able to win favor uh, from their future spouses and that is so amazing to me how it shows here too that the principle the principle of you know you know doing good and being kind and having a good character really opens doors for you it opens doors of many blessings right not just materialistic blessings but it even opened the door of you meeting the one that the lord has for you it opened the doors of changing your status some of you maybe you feel like you're tired of where you are in life you feel like you've been repeating the same cycles i'm telling you when you begin to have wisdom right meaning when you begin to apply the knowledge that you have received from wise wise counsel from what you have learned and you begin to again you know walk by faith and not by sight doing what it is that you know that it's honorable in the eyes of the lord and not just in the on the eyes of the lord but in the eyes of your parents your siblings those who knows you those you are around listen you will win favor not only with god but with men you will win favor with God and men and people will want to bless you. People will be attractive to you and they will want for you to win. You know, a lot of us, we hear haters, right? We hear the term hater. I don't really like saying that term. We hear a lot of people say, oh man, I have a lot of haters and stuff. like." But you know what? When you are a person of character, when you are a noble person, right? That's what we're going to be seeing in the Proverbs 31 woman. People, East and West, they will want to bless you. People will just want to bless you because they want to. People will just want to give you money because they want you. Not because you ask them. And as a matter of fact, you won't even have to ask. Just like King Exorcist, right? People will ask you what you want. They will ask you what type of blessing you want them to give them. To give you, excuse me. And so that's very, very, very important. And we see that too in Proverbs 31. You know, her husband... It's, you know, her husband is even saying of her, 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 her husband will call her blessed. Her children will call her blessed. That's another way of saying people just, you know, adore you. You have one favor inside of people because of who you are. The anointing that you have carried, that you carry, it just attract people. Your kindness attract people. Your hardworking, um, your hardworkingness even though that's probably not a word but your hardworking nature attracts people um your thoughtful nature attracts people you know your willingness to stay engaged and to show people that you are attentive to them when they're speaking attract favor and honor to you amen very quickly let's just go ahead um turn our bible pages to proverbs 31 very 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 quickly but um to crop up the story right of esther and and, and king exorcist i believe that you guys get the jits of it so basically again just like we saw in the story of rebecca just like we saw in the story of ruth and now in esther we see almost like word for word we could almost say right um, when it comes to that scenario of how they met their potential spouse, we see the correlation. We see the same things happening. They know how to listen and they know how to execute. A lot of the times we, we hear people say, you know, um, wait, right? Wait, wait on the Lord. Yes, wait on the Lord. The Bible tells us to wait on the Lord. But there's a way for you to wait on the Lord that will bring about um, a good outcome. 
there's certain things that God indeed only he can do. But God has given you authority and he has given you the grace to do certain things. Esther did not just stay with Mordecai at their house. No, she heard of that of that good news, that report. She heard of that proclamation that the king was on the look for a new queen. What did she do? She did not hesitate. She did not hesitate just like Rebecca did not hesitate to draw water that day and give it to the servant of Abraham. She did not hesitate like Ruth decided to follow Naomi, although Naomi continued to persist her to go back to her homeland. You guys see the patterns, the similarities. What does that mean to for you today? What does that mean for you? That means, listen to me, God is ready to bless you, but are you going to extend your hand to receive the blessing? God is ready to bless you, but are you going to be willing to go to that conference? Are you going to be willing to go to that job opportunity? Are you going to be willing to move out of state Are you going to be willing to get out of your comfort zone so you can receive the blessing that God has for you? Yes, there are certain blessings God supernaturally could bring to you. But majority of them, I strongly believe God is looking for your faith to make sure that you move so you could get the blessing. Many times, even in the Bible, we see that there were motion involved for the people to receive their blessing. They were in motion. They were engaged. They had to move from one place to another place. And that is so important for us to pay attention to. And so as we're just turning our Bible pages to go to Proverbs 31, I just want to strongly encourage you. Those of you guys, again, who are faithfully faithfully waiting on the Lord, I want to, again, just congratulate you and let you know, well done. God sees your effort. He hears your prayer. He sees how you're faithfully waiting on him when it comes to your desire for marriage, when it comes to um, you waiting for the for the best thing, right? You're waiting and you're refusing to settle for less. But I believe the spirit of the Lord is saying, I, I, I see that you have waited and you have waited well, but now, daughter, I want for you to take that step of faith but now son i want you to take the step of faith and as you're taking the step of faith listen you're not doing it um blind you're not doing it with your eyes closed but just like ruth esther and rebecca did you're listening to wise counsel you're listening to the voice of the spirit so he could tell you where to go and when to go to that place he's telling you what to say to that person he's telling you what to wear just like naomi did with ruth right and just like the enoch did with esther God will not let you do something without you having any understanding of how to do it. He will give you revelation. And even if he doesn't give it, he will speak through somebody else to give you that revelation. And so the main thing here you need to understand that when you are waiting on the Lord, you're not waiting with no revelation. You're not waiting with no word of prophecy or no confirmation. You are waiting to hear the instructions that God wants to give you. You are waiting to hear what the Lord wants to tell you. So that way you can do what? You cannot step out in faith. And in the waiting process, y'all, again, it doesn't mean you're not doing anything at all. The waiting process is the waiting process because it means that you are trusting in God to act for you. But trusting God to act for you does not mean for you to not take a step. And I feel like in the culture, the Christian culture, we feel like the waiting process means for us to not take a step. That's completely the opposite. That's completely the opposite. And so, okay, guys. All right, so I'm just turning my Bible pages to Proverbs 
chapter 31 here and um i'm gonna just quickly go ahead and just talk about it real quick i don't want to hold you guys for long um but quickly you know this is a saying of king lemuel right and it's describing the proverbs 31 woman and we know that she is a wife of noble character all these women that we discussed so far throughout the series they were women of noble character what does noble mean they were honorable women they were women who knew their integrity they walked in integrity they walked in generosity they walked in righteousness they walked in godliness they walked in purity they walked in faithfulness that they put other people before themselves they weren't selfish y'all and the thing is we need to understand if we desire godly companionship godly marriage we cannot be selfish marriage is about being selfless marriage is about being selfless is about reflecting what the Lord did. Jesus was selfless when it came to us. Even though we were sinful, he was willing to be selfless. How? To die in our place. When you step foot into a God-ordained relationship or marriage, you are saying to yourself, I have died to myself so that I may serve that individual. And that doesn't mean you're going to live a life of misery and like a slave, but it just means that you're not only going to make everything be about you, but now that other person is a part of you, an extension of you. You guys now become one. And so the Prophets 31 woman had that mentality, the prize mentality, knowing that she was the prize because she has the giftings. She has the understanding. She has the willpower to know what her family needs, to know what her husband needs, and to successfully execute to make sure that their needs are met. She was a woman who was well-rounded. She was a woman who was not just spiritual, but she was a woman who was intelligent. She knew how to manage. She knew how to manage her household, but she knew also how to manage her finances. She knew how to take care of her children. She knew how to do it all. Was she a perfect woman? Of course not, because nobody is perfect. But at the end of the day, I believe the perfection that the Lord is looking for us to attain in this life is faithfulness. God is looking for those who are willing to be faithful to him. And your future spouse is willing to look for the person who will be faithful to them until death do you part. Faithfulness in the context of marriage and relationship is almost a rarity. It's almost something that is rare, something that is never seen before. People get into relationship just to get, you know, just to experience breakups. People get into relationships or marriages just to experience divorce. That is not the purpose of it, y'all. From that being said, I close with this. What is the purpose of you desiring to be in a godly relationship? There's something I love saying. And the reason why is because I believe if we have this thought always on our mind, you know, we could we could save ourselves a lot of heartbreak, a lot of disappointments, and we could truly fulfill our purpose and the assignment that God has on our lives. And that is a desire without purpose, y'all, it will never come to pass. Though God love us, God will never give you something that he knows you won't use to glorify him with. From that being said, you may believe that you desire marriage, 
But God may never give you a marriage. He may never give you a future husband or a future wife because he knows that you're going to cause that person to become an idol in your life. And you're going to cause that person to make you not worship God, your Lord and your Savior. You're going to make that person make you forget that God, that Jesus is your first love. And so you have to be transparent with yourself right now and say, yes, I want that intimacy, right? I want that friendship with that person. I want that that deep love with that person, right? But do I also want to be with this person because I believe that that person will point me closer to Jesus? Do I want to be in the context of marriage because I believe that God created marriage so that I may advance his kingdom on this earth? Because the Bible lets me know that two are better than one. Because the Bible lets me know, even in Genesis 2 verse 18, that it is not good for men to be alone. So that we could have a greater harvest for the glory of the Lord. We have to be honest with ourselves and tell ourselves, why is it that we want to be in a relationship in the first place? Do we want to be in a relationship just because everybody is in one? Just because we just love that attention? The attention that people get just because they're a couple or whatnot? And I believe once you do those analysis, once you check yourself, once you check your heart and you pray those prayers again, you say, God, make my heart pure, make my motives pure. I guarantee you, man, I guarantee you God is faithful to give you that desire because he knows that desire is ultimately going to give him glory. Amen. Now, quickly, let's go ahead and talk about um, the the men right here. Jacob. Um, Jacob. Yeah, Jacob, King Exorcist, and a little bit about Boaz. Very, very brief, y'all. So basically what I wanted to go ahead and discuss for my fellas, because you guys know y'all have an advantage, really. Um, you guys are the pursuers, you know. So when you see an attract attractive woman, uh, you are able to approach that woman and get to know her and say, you know, you know, I would love to get to know you and so forth like that. Make small talks and ultimately just to try to see if she's a potential, she's a potential mate. If you guys have similarities, if you guys are compatible, right? But us women, we don't have that advantage. But based on this um, this series, now, ladies, you guys know you are the positioner. So basically, you actually have more advantage than you realize, right? But for my men who are listening to the podcast episode, the reason why I just chose to briefly talk about these three men um, is just to, you know, bring forth some misconceptions i believe guys believe and also i believe many people in that in that industry right that relationship um industry like the relationship content even in, on social media and so forth and one of them that i want to discuss very quickly is timing right and when i say timing i'm talking about timing meaning like when is it you think you know when is it um or when do you think you should be pursuing a woman, right? Or when do you think um, it's a perfect time to propose to a woman? No, when do you think it's a, purpose, a, a, a perfect time to uh, marry a woman? And a lot of people believe you have to be in a relationship for a very long time before you begin to talk about marriage or before marriage comes to the picture and something that a lot of people miss you know right a misconception a lot of people um don't realize is that 
not at all. When we want to take it now biblical here, okay? And ladies, you all could listen too. Um, I feel that, you know, especially when it comes to marriage, um, in the Bible times, right? In Bible passages, even when it comes to the story of, of Ruth and Boaz, Rebecca and Isaac, and even Esther and King Exorcist, they didn't take a long time to know they were meant to be married or to know, okay, let's go ahead and let's get married. They didn't take a long time. Um, and also something that's very important for me to also make sure you guys know is a misconception is um, when it comes to promises in the Bible, or when it comes to blessings, or when it comes to specific, um, yeah, specific blessings, one of the blessings in which that did not take a long time for people to receive was in fact marriage. When you see or when you read passages like the story of Sarah and how, you know, it was very hard for her to conceive and she finally conceived when she was 90 years old. That's a very, very long time. But when we read Bible passages, um, when it comes to marriage, right, we saw marriage were actually even arranged and it didn't take long um, for the men and women to be married. And even when it comes to the stories that we just discussed throughout this series, I'm not saying it happened suddenly, but I'm saying that it didn't take a, a you know, a, 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 a lot of time for these people to really make up their mind and know that, okay, we're going to get married. We want, we want to get married. And as a matter of fact, let's just say this, there's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about, about boyfriend and girlfriend. It only talks about husband and wife, which again tells me that period of talking or that period of dating even though dating is not in the bible was very brief it was basically them figuring out if they practice the same um, religion meaning if they if they believe in the same god if they um had the same um yeah have the same belief system and that was that was perhaps the main core thing the main core value that they had to have similar right and then that was it um and also of course you know biblically it had to be a relationship between a man and a woman but at the end of the day we don't see a long behind time period of dating or talking and the reason why i'm saying is saying that is um Nowadays, you will see certain people, they're in relationships for 10 years and the men never propose. The lady never says anything either. And then that is that. And then there's people, um, they're in relationships for, they're in relationships, right? And um, they never talk about the topic of marriage. They never talk, they just never talk about it. But that shouldn't be all, that shouldn't be. And there's other people, it's not even about the marriage thing. They're talking to people, but they don't want to put a title on it. You don't know if they're dating that person. You don't even know if that person is their girlfriend or boyfriend. And that is very problematic if you think about it. And where I'm heading to now, fellas, when it comes to Jacob, Jacob was so sure about Rachel that when it came for for him to win Rachel's heart um he was willing to do whatever it is that his father 
excuse me, not his father, but Rachel's father wanted him to do. And what did Rachel's father, Laban, wanted Jacob to do? Laban wanted Jacob to work for um, for him in order for um, him to get the blessing from Laban to marry Rachel. And the thing is, Laban played Jacob. How did he play Jacob? Jacob worked for him for seven years. And after that seven years, Jacob thinking that Rachel is going to be his wife. And he even says it to Laban. He said, I, I, I want my wife. Laban goes ahead and said, well, this is not our custom here. We never give we never give uh, um, the young woman, we never give the young daughter in marriage first. It's always the older daughter. So Leah was older than Rachel. And because of that, guess what? Jacob had to work seven more years just to be able to marry Rachel. Excuse me, uh, Jacob had to work seven more years just to marry Rachel. So in total, he had to work about 13 to 14 years, right? And you have um, you have men, for example, um, that says, you know, I can't, I can't wait that long. Um, I can't wait that long to save myself, you know, uh, for you. You know, I'm talking about in the context of sexual intimacy. And the thing about it is that the Bible you know, says to us that Jacob said, give me my wife. So basically the marriage, Jacob already knew the marriage was a done deal. The marriage was it. The marriage was done. It was just having her now, right? Having her in his possession, having her now in his life permanently. That was the thing that was missing. And from the Bible, right? From the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we hear it it being said, this is why the man leaves his mother and father so that he can be united to his wife. And that was after, you know, um, Adam said to Eve, you are woman because you are um, born of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Right there is, in fact, the marriage being done between Adam and Eve. Okay. And so a lot of men, you know, and I'm not saying all men, but a lot of men, you know, pressure females, pressure women to practice sexual intimacy before marriage because they're saying that they can't wait that long. And here we see Jacob, fellas, work 14 years before he actually can have that with his wife, before he can actually be joined to his wife. That speaks volume to me. And so I really feel like Jacob, for real, he deserves MVP. (laughs) Jacob deserves MVP. He didn't wait one year. He didn't wait five months. He didn't wait six years. He waited 14 years to finally be with Rachel and to finally culminate, excuse me, not culminate, but consummate the marriage. And when you have young men, when a young lady tells you that she's saving herself because she wants to be pure, she's saving herself for marriage. Some men, they have a problem with that. And they say, I can't do it. Forget you. Right. Or you know, I can't continue with this relationship. Ladies, let me tell you something. Men like Jacob still exist. Men like Jacob still exist. Wait for a man like Jacob because God is not a man to lie. God is not a, a, a man to put you to shame as well. He's not a God that disappoints. God would never let you settle for less. God will never give you someone who is willing to allow you to sin against him. Do you hear me? And so if they want to say all of this, don't buy it. That is a lie from the devil. And God, he will indeed reward you 
because of your faithfulness to him because of your willingness to obey him like esther obeyed mordecai like rebecca obeyed the servant of abraham like ruth obeyed um, naomi when she was giving her the wise counsel for her own good all right and um another thing i want to go ahead and um discuss let's look at boaz fellas boaz was a man of noble character he was a man of honor he was a man that was willing he was a man that was willing to to be honest with Ruth from the beginning. For example, what do I mean by that? Boaz knew that he wasn't the only relative that could have married Ruth. He wasn't the one first in line. He was the one second in line, I believe so. Or he had another relative who was, um, I believe, even younger than him that could have married Ruth. He could have kept that to himself. But did he? No, he didn't. He was honest even in that instant. Even to that point, right? He was honest with Ruth. And he said to her, there's someone else. And guess what? That person ends up rejecting Ruth. But we see the noble nobility of Boaz again. Though that person rejected Ruth, Boaz stepped in and said, you know what? I'm going to marry Ruth. And I'm not just going to marry her, but I'm going to also um, take the property too that belong um, to that relative of ours. That's no more. So I have Ruth and I also have that property. And I'm willing to do this because she's worth more. That other guy didn't see Ruth's value, but Boaz saw her value. Ladies, what does that mean? Men like Boaz still exist. Men who sees your value still exist. Any guy who is forcing you to do something that does not show your worth is not, is, is not worth for you to waste time with him. The same with the fellas. If there's a young lady... She doesn't see your worth. It's not worth for you to waste your time with her. All right. Now, let's go ahead, fellas. Let's talk about King Exorcist very, very quickly. Okay. King Exorcist. The main thing I want to discuss concerning him with you all tonight is his openness to offer Esther half of the kingdom. He went ahead and offered Esther half of the kingdom in chapter 5. You know, which symbolizes to me that he knows that what is his is for Esther. And what's for Esther is for him. We have to understand when it comes to companionship, godly companionship, when it comes to the context of marriage, what belongs to you belongs to your husband. What belongs to your husband belongs to you. You guys, yes, you guys are individuals. Your individuality will not be lost in marriage. But at the end of the day, you realize you are one in marriage. Oneness doesn't just mean because now you're husband and wife and that is that. Mm -mm. You are one when it comes to your purpose as well. Your purposes are well blended together. You are one when it comes to your assignment. It doesn't mean that you guys don't have different assignment, but it means that the purpose behind each of your assignments, they co they coexist. They align together. It means that you guys are not just marrying each other, but you guys marry each other's family. You are marrying, you are blending your lives together. It's not all about you no more. It's about him too. It's not all about you no more. It's about her too. And I love that the Bible, you know, you know, it said that to us, you know, you know, the king was so moved by Esther. And her kind demeanor and her character and the way that she was completely, completely different from Queen Vashti. 
that he said, I will give you half of the kingdom. Do you guys know how rich, how popular this man was? Bible says he ruled 127 provinces. Provinces, y'all, 127. We live in the United States. And some of you guys who are listening in other nations. Imagine if you ran just 10 10 cities in your country. But this man, he ran 127 provinces. And he says to Esther, I will give you half of it. He says, I will give you half of it. I don't know what more can we say than when two are together, you are one. You are selfless with one another. It's not about me, me, me. It's about us. It's not about me, me, me. It's about we. And I hope that you fellows, fellas, right, my brothers who are listening to this podcast, that you heard these insights that I have received concerning these men from the Bible. And that you would do a self-analysis of yourself and say, you know, have I been pursuing well? Have I been honoring women well? Have I been honoring the the woman that I'm currently dating, that I'm currently talking to, that I'm currently um, seeing could be my potential wife? Ladies, you have to say, is, is this individual that I'm currently talking to, does he value me? Like Boaz valued Ruth. Does he value me like King Exorcist valued Esther. I'm not going to hold you guys for long. Can you believe we're almost at an hour? Yes. But this was some good stuff. The word of God is so rich, y'all. Everything that you need is in the word of God. There's not a topic the word of God does not discuss. And even then, when it does not go into details in regards to specific topics, But it does, in fact, give you a broad understanding of whatever it is that you need to know. Whatever it is that you need more revelation for. So that way you could be successful in every area of your life. Even your love life. Even the way that you date. Even when it comes to your desire for marriage and godly companionship. The Bible is rich with nuggets. Wisdom. That will prepare you to receive what it is that you're asking for. And to be successful at whatever it is that you're doing y'all i pray that you were greatly encouraged and blessed by this series i'm praying for you as well um for those of you guys who know you've been faithfully waiting and trusting the lord in your season of singleness those of you who have been pursuing purpose with due diligence those of you who have been trusting God despite what you see and your circumstances, despite how you feel to connect you with your future spouse, hang in there. God sees you. God sees your effort. Trust me, if God plays that desire in your heart, it is not in vain. It is not for no purpose. It's for a purpose. But you need to remind yourself, whatever desire that I have, I need to make sure it's attached to the purpose of me glorifying God with it. And I believe once you do that analysis, God is faithful to usher in that person into your life. But at the end of the day, like we discussed throughout this series, God is waiting on your faith. For many of you, I strongly believe that your relationship status is not going to be this way next year. From that being said, take this as your confirmation 
to position yourself. Ladies, take this as your composition to position com- confirmation to position yourself to to embrace your role as a positioner and knowing that by this time next year, for those of you guys who have been contending, for those who strongly believe that the wait is over, get ready to really, you know, share our share your praise report with me, share your testimony with me, because I cannot wait to rejoice alongside of you. And brothers, hey, I want you to understand, it's not that Jacob had so much money um, that he was not willing to marry, at, um, um, excuse me, Rachel. But it's because his heart was in the right place. If your heart is in the right place, if God is your savior and he's the one that you you serve and he is the one that you imitate, you don't need to have great finances just so that you can pursue marriage. I'm not saying for you to not make sure your finance finances are getting together, like, you know, are well put together. But you don't need to have everything in a perfect state. For you to begin to take that step of faith and start pursuing that person that you believe that the Holy Spirit, you know, have placed them in your heart and have shown you that they are different and that they are worth pursuing. Jacob saw that in Rachel. And even though his life perhaps wasn't completely, you know, together financially. Right. But he was willing to work for her and not working in the sense that, you know, he had to, you know, uh, uh, work um, painful labor for her to earn her love but he was willing to work for her because he saw her value all right thank you so much for tuning in to tonight's episode i truly appreciate it i do what i do i do this podcast first and foremost for the glory of god but i do it because i truly believe that god wants us to do relationship in a way that honors him because indeed the way that we do work um, relationship It's what's going to tell us whether our relationship will fail or prosper. And I believe whatever it is that you give to the Lord, that you surrender to the Lord, it will truly prosper. I hope that you were blessed by this series. I know I have been blessed by this series. And may the Lord grant you the desires of your heart according to his will and purposes. This was JLP. And remember, all things are possible with Christ Jesus. Take care. Until next time. Peace out.